Hello, welcome to Terror Talk. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Tales of the Grim Sleeper, the true crime documentary. It's not a new one, but we've never talked about it before, and I found it really interesting, and it's a really good one, I think, that Mm -hmm. I would recommend to most people. So we're going to talk about that a little later, but first, we're going to do some news and some true crime news, and it is Shark Week, people. I feel like we just had this yesterday like how did how did we get to july i know i feel like we were just doing our shark a week event on the discord last year Mm -hmm. because i i I vividly remember the movies and everything so Mm -hmm. here we are again yeah yeah i feel like you had an article about that i just have an update this is exciting Mm. well i think it's exciting (laughs) and so we will try do you think it's exciting? Zelda Williams, the daughter of Robin Williams, yeah, and Diablo Cody are Diablo Cody just wrote a new. She calls it a zomcom. That's oh, hilarious, Lord. And Zelda <laughs> Williams will be directing the newest film by Diablo Cody called Lisa Frankenstein. I am really excited for this. <laughs> so, and, and it's supposed to be... I mean, it sounds fun already. It, it's but. supposed to be her weirdest script yet, if that tells you anything. And she's oh, all, oh, I, mean, no. I, I loved Juno. I love Jennifer's body. I, li- I like Diablo I, Cody a I lot. I do too. Um, so t- whatever she does with this, I bet it's going to be hysterical. So set in 1989 and stylized as such, Lisa Frankenstein follows an unpopular high schooler who accidentally reanimates a handsome Victorian corpse during a lightning storm mm. and starts to rebuild him into the man of her dreams using bro- a broken tanning bed in her garage. Nice. Um, so Catherine Newton of Big Little Lies and Dylan Sprouse, who was on Riverdale, they will be the leads in this film. Uh, Williams expressed her excitement for the Zomcom on mm. Twitter, calling Cody's script the most bonkers, wonderful zombie script I've ever read. <laughs> so I guess it's in in the making right now, right, or right. they're about to start. But I'm I'm looking forward to this. I like that she's not constantly doing movies. Like, Me too. Really, kind of comes in and out, and I appreciate that. You know, like every few years, yeah. she's got and something big that she's really crafted. Yeah, it's not there's no turning them out. There's no turning them exactly. out. They're very mild. I, there's very they're very you know specific mindful i love it love it that we're doing the zombies yeah plus i like horror comedies. me so too there's that i have some true crime chiseled to share with you excellent today. and despite the stressors of the global pandemic life was on the upswing for miss taylor kale <laughs> kale kale miss taylor kale oh taylor's her first name Yes. Okay. I thought you meant Miss Taylor and then you paused and said kale. So I don't know if that was like Taylor hyphen kale and you just. No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> the 29 year old event manager from San Diego was thriving at work. She also had plans to celebrate her 30th birthday with friends, but her life was tragically cut short on April 25th, 2021. And it might be Kaylee. I don't know. K A H L E is her last name. Call A. Okay. Okay, Kathy. Miss K <laughs> was on a second date with a nice man. After visiting the zoo and having dinner, they took a stroll along J Street and 10th Avenue, which I know exactly where that is because I used to live in San Diego, when a falling man killed her. Apparently suicidal, the man in question had leapt from a ninth story parking garage and took her life along with his own. The San Diego County Medical Examiner said that he was in his 20s or 30s and later died. Miss Taylor was pronounced dead at the scene because she obviously broke his fall a bit. Heartbreaking. 
Yeah. The quote is she had just from the boss, she had just met someone. It was new, just starting out, and she was just excited that there was someone new to have a connection with. She was like on a second date. You know, that feeling when you go on a second date sure. with someone you really care about. And then uh someone who was suicidal literally fell on her. That's really it's awful. Creepy. I know. How do you it's I mean awful. that's trauma. Very much so for the family. I also wanted to mention this other one. This is pretty crazy. So there's this woman who claims to be the seven-year-old Brittany Renee Williams who went missing in 2000. Oh, God. Near the year 2000. So okay. Brittany Renee Williams was seven years old and being treated for AIDS at an independent foster home in Virginia when she suddenly vanished in August of 2000. So 22 years ago. Presumed dead because she did not have her medication with her. The young girl was never seen again until October of 2021. And that's when Kaylin Stevenson of Fort Wayne, Indiana, went public with her claim that she was Williams. While she had little recollection of her early childhood, she stumbled upon a missing persons flyer. Crazy. Wow. And a torrent of memories came rushing in, she says. So I did remember the last name Williams, she said. For some reason, it's implanted in the back of my mind. And Brittany Renee Williams's photo popped up. I woke my wife up in her sleep and was like, this is me. I know me when I see me. This That's is me. so creepy. When Stevenson took a DNA test, the results showed a 95.83% probability that she was half-sisters with Anastasia McElroy, the first daughter of the Williams' mother, Rosemary Thompson. Though Stevenson has never been diagnosed with HIV or AIDS, police still found the development staggering enough to reopen the missing persons investigation. So early on in the case, I guess authorities had been suspicious of the head of the Williams Foster's home, like where she was kidnapped from or left from or whatever happened. She had claimed that she put Williams in the care of two women in California, which turned out to be a lie. So literally the caseworker lied where she put the kid. Like what? What? <laughs> that doesn't like, I work in the foster care system a little bit, like I adjunct to the foster care system, at least in my County. And Okay. In the midst of the investigation, cops did not discover any evidence that Parker had harmed or killed Williams, but they did find Parker guilty of fraud in her business. So this original foster person, foster mom or whatever was, was found fraudulent. I imagine it was a group home. We don't really do group homes in California anymore, but imagine it was a group home and, you know, they investigated and they didn't find any evidence that she stole or hurt the girl or anything in the home. But they they, I guess, charged her with fraud for this business or whatever. And of course, like she put a kid where the kid's not supposed to go anyway. Meanwhile, Stevenson was raised in Ohio. This, you know, back to this girl that's now however old, uh, raised in Ohio by adoptive parents who had taken her under their care when she was seven. So like the timing works while some details remain unconfirmed about her early years her memories birthmarks and dna results suggest that this missing persons case is finally solved i'd be really fascinated to know like what the fuck happened yeah that's bizarre i know and i'll end with a funny one okay okay it's kind of funny i mean it's kind of funny if you choose to find the funny a homeless South Florida man with no arms has been charged with stabbing a Chicago <laughs> tourist. <laughs> with his teeth or his toes? 
Miami Beach police say 46-year-old Jonathan Crenshaw held a pair of scissors with his feet and stabbed 22-year-old oh, Cesar Coronado just after midnight. So was he like lying on his back and he was in the, that that like... <laughs> That move you do where you put your feet together and shove your feet up in the air with your hips. I just want to see you do that. Now. I can show you what I, I mean. Okay, cool. It's like a good ab right exercise. Right after this, I want to know what that looks like. But I guess this guy, the, um, the man in question, uh, our stabber, was painting on canvases in South Beach, you know. He paints with his feet and so he just grabbed the scissors and went to town. And according to the rest report, Crenshaw says he was lying down painting, whatever, when Coronado approached him and punched him in the head. So apparently this guy Caesar punched him in the well, head. Maybe he deserved a little stabbing. I don't often the victims <laughs> disturb a little stabbing. I mean, police say Crenshaw stabbed Coronado twice and fled. A friend who was traveling with Coronado said they asked Crenshaw for directions. So he's denying that he punched him in the head. He's saying, we just asked for directions. And he suddenly jumped up yeah, and so stabbed me in the arm. very triggered by that question. Yeah. Crenshaw has been charged with aggravated battery. Wow. So there's that. You're welcome. Thank you so much. All right. Before we go to break and uh, before we talk about Tales of the Grim Sleeper, which is a documentary uh, about a local L.A. serial killer that we've never spoken about before, we are going to do a little thing we like to call (laughs) Death Metal version today, ladies and gentlemen. Number one. Hmm. How many slashers were made in the 1980s, according (laughs) to IMDb? She knew I was going to go like, what? Okay. B, in 2008, this product (laughs) made a commercial. (laughs) In 2008, this product made a commercial about a killer on the loose. The question was whether the woman would survive. Well, considering she was wearing this particular product, she most certainly did. Ah, see. Number three. Why are you told to, why are you told not to whistle in a graveyard? Mm. Okay. Number four. Why was Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in the Hellraiser series, ignored at the post-production party? (laughs) Okay. <laughs> and number five. Can't wait to find out. Tim Burton was in contention to direct what 80s family horror film? Oh, wow. Fun. But he couldn't do it because he went on to direct Pee-wee's Big Adventure, if that gives you a little time frame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I ha- there's a, something that jumped right in my head, but I have okay. to think about it for a minute, I guess, because <laughs> I don't know if it worked with the time frame. All right, cool. So we will be back in a moment to talk about Tales of the Grim Sleeper. It's K. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the case of the Grim Sleeper, which was a Los Angeles-based case. This documentary that we both watched was actually from 2014. It's one of Nick Broomfield's documentaries, if you've seen any of his stuff. He's done something on, like, Warnos and a couple of other different people. And I always find him kind of interesting. He's a British kind of investigative reporter mm-hmm. and he's one of those guys that sort of just like he'll go and ask people things Gets that in there. you would never do <laughs> you would you're like oh my god i can't believe you just asked them that or whatever yeah. uh in this he has a woman named margaret prescott who who actually really really helps him and ends up giving him access to a lot of uh, victims that survived and the neighborhood that the grim sleeper was uh, hunting in. And so between the two of them, they get a lot of really, int- or actually, no, I think, well, was it Pam Brooks? Actually, I think that was the woman that we're talking about that, that helped him quite a bit asking a lot of the local people mm. in that area in South LA about their experiences. So my apologies. I think I got the name wrong, but I think I corrected it correctly. So did had you known about this case before? I mean, the very. I, I'd heard of yeah. him and how you know. I know how they he got his token name and all of that, but sure. I didn't. I didn't know anything in depth about. Right, me neither. Really, yeah. uh, even being a Los Angeles native, I think just uh, you know this was occurring in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and there were so many people killing in the 1980s honestly especially in los angeles yeah and i and i and i certainly am not aware of all of the 1980s serial killers it just wasn't something i was really aware of lonnie franklin jr is the person we are talking about he was he's he's better known as by his serial murdering alias <laughs> the grim sleeper which actually was coined by the la weekly in 2008 after a victim was linked to a string of murders that had occurred in the 1980s. So the LA Weekly is our local free paper. A lot of big cities have the free paper that you can get weekly from a bin, and LA Weekly is ours. And so in 2008, it was coined, that phrase was coined, and it's possible he's murdered as many as 25 women, which would actually make him one of the more prolific American killers. He happens to be African-American as well, so that makes him unique in the serial killer pool, right? Mm -hmm. And... You know, he was convicted ultimately of nine, uh, killing nine women and a teenage girl after yeah. six years of waiting, right? Yeah, ten, 10 for sure we know, but like Shannon said, they think there's a lot more. Oh yeah, they definitely think there's a lot more. So he was sentenced to death on August 10th, 2016, which is exactly 31 years after the death of his first confirmed victim, who was Deborah Jackson in 1985. So that's quite some time. He got away with it for a very, very, very long time. 
So after shooting Jackson three times in the chest, Franklin went on to use the same 25 caliber gun in nine different attacks, assaulting and strangling more. So while keeping photos of his victims as trophies, they interview the son of that first victim. And I had a, a lot of empathy for him. They actually closed the documentary with him as well. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, one of the things we know about his profile pool was these were women who were sex workers. Many of them were drug addicts. These were women who, if they did disappear, no one was looking for them. Well, and, and even specifically like victims that law enforcement or authorities don't care about. That's yeah. Or didn't care about. And assume that they died because of drug overdose or something else. So I don't know. There was something about this particular son and his the story of his mother and losing his mother that made it very personal for Mm -hmm. me just because it's like I know that we talked before we started recording that there were some really influential stories of the women who did survive and those were really great as well but I don't know I just had so much empathy for the the son who ended up without any closure, essentially, you know, that, that his mother was just taken by this guy. And then when, when you find out more about the way he talked about his victims and, um, degraded them and took photos of them and bragged about them, it's like, I even had more empathy because, you know, eventually the son heard everything that happened to his mother and, oh, that part, that part really got me. Yeah, no, I understand. I I thought it was really interesting that Nick had access to these women because he engaged with some women that live in the neighborhood of South LA and were around for those murders and were actually working as prostitutes at that time. And so they knew each other. And so the documentarian was able to get all of these interviews of women who were working during that time and then also women who had actually been assaulted either sexually or or physically or in all the ways by Franklin. And so whereas the news and everybody was saying that there was one survivor that I guess they used in the case or you know talked to frequently, they actually interviewed like six survivors and I'm sure there were more and more and more. There were probably a lot of people but here's that thing of being marginalized you know, and working as a prostitute in an inner city that has a very low income level and being a person that if you go missing, the authorities wouldn't care about, right? Like what you're talking about is that you yourself have internalized that your story doesn't matter because you could see in those women's faces that it's like, well, he used to do this and this and this and this. And these Mm -hmm. women never told anybody that those things happened. So detached. They worked as prostitutes and I'm imagining he's not the only person that did those kinds of things to them. And so they, in that moment or in those times, they didn't see anything different than, than others. Yeah. But they were kind of used to. Yeah. And they were used to it. Now, yes, he he walked outside the norm. This wasn't their normal trick, so to speak, or a customer. Definitely, because they definitely remember him and they were definitely hurt by him. But they also just never told anybody those things. It's not like you could go, you could do what they were doing in life and live where they live and go to the authorities and say, hey, this customer of mine in my sex trade assaulted me right 
in a way that I didn't agree to that wasn't part of the payment plan, you can't, you couldn't, no. they wouldn't care. And this is, and this is exactly why these women are targeted. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's an article that came out by Dr. Joni Johnson, she's a psychologist, uh, how killers find their targets and why they often get away with it. And she just says, you know, like the three prongs, serial predators often target the most vulnerable members of society. And sometimes that is, that ends up being their victim pool. Other times it's their, it's their practice. You know, if Mm -hmm. I can get away with this and I can sort of use this, then I can move on to bigger targets for this guy. It was just like, low-hanging fruit you know he just took what was there and it was who he socialized with totally literally on the block i mean this he wasn't going anywhere he wasn't doing anything elaborate no and he you know with with serial killers too or any sort of predator what we know like in risk assessment is we have the difference between someone who's more opportunistic or someone who's very specific and for him he, he i i think this was more of an opportunistic thing like you said these were women that just were there. He didn't have to really work that hard. He just hired a hooker. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it, and and that is why prostitutes are so widely sure victims of serial killers. Mm-hmm. And often serial killers who are quote unquote practicing, they're going to take the people that are available to them most readily. I think it's also that he didn't really fit what they thought of in the eighties as a profile of a serial killer. In other words, he was friendly and yeah, he Pretty was unassuming. Quiet, very popular. Mm-hmm. Like he would work on cars. I guess he was a mechanic. He would work on cars in his front yard and chat with people and everyone knew him. They do a bunch of news yeah. interviews in the beginning that made me laugh because Kathy and I all, often laugh about like, he was a nice guy. We liked yeah. him. There's a, Those are the, all through the 80s and 90s, those were the interviews you saw on the news. Well, Bundy, he was a nice guy. Well, it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's like when people say that to me, obviously, you know, and we've talked about this in other shows, predators are really good at feigning empathy because they have to fit in to stalk their prey. So if they're walking around going, oh, I'm a serial killer and I have a big knife in my hand or I like to rape or whatever they do, you know that one thing they're very skilled in is sort of feigning and mirroring what's around them in order to get along and 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 get their prey so they do they, they will though do things to give themselves away and he did you know he was bragging about his conquest there was always something just a little bit off about him in, in the form of like a social awkwardness and in general, you know, they, they do hide in plain sight, but like he was you know, like the guy, the really big dude that was like, yeah, you know, he would always say he had this lady and that lady. And he was like, no, you don't. That person's a hooker or that person's a whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and he would all, what was creepy too, is he, they found like over 500 photos, but the photos, according to, I, I can't remember the gentleman's name that they were interviewing, but he was like, they're all like without a head. Everything was from the neck down. So objectified. And then he would name, I don't mean to laugh because it's, it's really fucked up, but he named them according to their breasts. Yeah. Like how flipping sick. And then he had a bunch of Polaroids with just heads and half the women are sleeping. Yes. Cause they were on drugs. Right. He would give them drugs. And they also interview a guy that, was with him they would hire hookers together a lot right. and uh, 
according to this documentary, he never actually killed anybody in front of the sky. Like the sky wasn't an accomplice in that way. Right. But they would hire hookers together. And then he, of course, talked about how Franklin would give him drugs and do this and how he didn't like this or that. And of course, this guy's not copying anything that he might have done that wasn't acceptable, yeah. which I don't really buy at all. But that's an interesting take. Like, hey, this I used to hire hookers with, with the grim sleeper and here's what happened. So I thought that was also mm-hmm. an interesting piece of this documentary. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why this documentary ends up on all these lists is because you are hearing from people that live through it. And that's a big thing in documentaries. You know, we all see a lot of documentaries where it's like all the old footage and then they interview with the cop or something. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's great. And that's amazing. And some of those are really good. This one was interesting because this was actually the people that were in True. his community and knew him and actually had been victims of his and actually were friends with him. Such such good friends that they were hiring hookers together and all of this. Like, that's kind of crazy. Well, I and one thing that they didn't address in the doc, probably because they he, he did pass away in... 2020 on mm-hmm. death row but mm-hmm. uh, unless i miss this mm-hmm. we know that he was he went almost a decade and a half without any known murders which is what gave him his you know title mm-hmm. um so either he was able to curb his appetite which is pretty astounding we also don't know with 100 percent certainty if he didn't kill anybody over that period of time but that's a long time. And then all of a sudden to start that again, like we know that about BTK, but he, it's not so much that he stopped. It's just, he had very few within that time frame. This guy mm-hmm. like flat out stopped. This is like Zodiac. Yeah. You right? hear that occasionally. I mean, it's not unheard of that you do hear that, but it's super rare. It's rare. And you wonder, this is more rhetorical, I guess, but you wonder why or how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Like what else was being fed that he didn't need to do that? Right. And then I've also seen it where people will stop because they have a shift in life. You know, Mm -hmm. they get married or have kids and there's this shift where there's less available. I mean, I'm not saying that happened with this guy. Yeah. There's sometimes there's life events. Circumstantial. Yeah. Circumstances where, you know, maybe he, you know, you could say someone goes to jail for a period of time or someone gets married and have kids and, and, and has more oversight and they just can't, they're not hiring hookers every night. Exactly. Uh, They might get that narcissistic thing fed from something else for a while. Yeah. Something was was getting fed. I thought it was interesting too. I mean, like we already mentioned that, you know, like I think it's something like 80% of serial killers are white. So this was unique in that way, Mm -hmm. but also a lot of them are white and between the ages of 20 and 30 is kind of when they start on. Um, and the, his first known murder was not until he was 32, know, so which is much older, really astounding. Yeah. Much older. I mean, we don't know, right. obviously, but we know could have been happening. We know by about 35, the risk starts to go down. So yeah, but yeah. not with this guy, not with this guy. No, he was only just getting started and really escalated much, much later in his life. So, and you know, I guess it was true that there is this controversial use of DNA that I guess that ultimately brought him down. Yeah, they they ended up like uh, finding all the stuff in the trash can. Remember, they followed him yeah. and got like his pizza. They he went to yeah. Uh, yeah. They the, uh, that was what it was. One of the undercover guys pretended to be the waiter and ended up taking 
stuff off the table and pretending he was clearing his yes, plates and then they yes. use that to, i thought that was clever yeah a really that. interesting way to go about that i thought that was really interesting i also thought it was interesting that you know many of the articles i read were talking about miss washington who was quote unquote the only known survivor but then in this documentary they talked to i think six different uh, working women of the time that had been victims of his not shot and killed obviously because they're interviewing them but right definitely sexually assaulted the pictures were taken like all of the things that he did and then they each tell sort of a certain kind of circumstance where they got out of it where they were able to get away from him right and I, i feel like he was the kind of person that was just throwing everything at the wall like he would just try to kill everyone and some of them worked and some of them didn't and he just didn't give a fuck he didn't he just kept going and no one no one gave a fuck either and who who knows how like how often he was on drugs I, oh, for sure. I mean, right. that's kind of what they were talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I guess in early 2010, using the DNA collected from the scenes of the murders, detectives linked the crimes to a relative of Franklin's whose DNA was in the system. So that was really interesting because it was, it was, it was his son, Christopher, who was arrested for felony weapons, which I thought this was an interesting part of the doc possession in 2009. And then they had this guy's DNA and then they ran the DNA and then they ran it against this pizza crust (laughs) plate and cup from a local party that they had from his father. And then they matched him as a, as a relative. And then that's how they ended up. I mean, the claim of the discarded food being private was overruled. Of course they tried to rule it out and all that in the case, but that's how they found it. So they had this DNA from this pizza and then his son actually ends up getting arrested and then that's how they match the DNA and his son is actually in the documentary talking about how you know he felt bad and it was interesting though I I thought it was really interesting the interview because of course he says you know he talks about his dad and how his dad was not the kind of person that you know you could talk to and all that. But then he talks about how he was his best friend. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he, but, and not once does he, he mentions about his father and missing him and all of that. And, and you get kind of the sense that he doesn't believe that his dad did all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then also I was struck by the fact that he was talking the whole time and he never once talked about anything about how all of these women and all of these families that were affected by what had happened it was just really about like, yeah, my dad wasn't the kind of person to, you know, we don't yeah. talk about that. He doesn't admit to anything. No, I uh, agree with you, though. I don't think he I don't think he could even go there. No. Well, and and also his son was arrested for felony weapons possession in 2009 and possibly more arrests, possibly a similar personality mm-hmm. as a son. You know, Franklin had been arrested for lots and lots and lots of things mm-hmm. over the years. Well, and, that, and I think that's what, to be honest with you, I think those like quote unquote, smaller offenses are mm-hmm. what kept that, that was the sleight of hand. That's what they were paying attention to. It's like, yeah. look over here. So you don't see that I'm like burying heads in my basement. And it's, it's, it's sad, but at that time, especially in, in South LA, you know, the African American male having multiple, multiple arrests for petty crimes and also more, much more serious misdemeanors and bigger crimes mm-hmm. is like very common. Yeah. That, that that and so and so all of this was the subterfuge that would you know yeah. hide what he was really doing so i thought the interview with his son which i think is n- kind of close to the end was really interesting as well so yeah. 
It was a pretty good one. I think both of us are kind of of the mind that it's not the best documentary we've yeah. ever seen. It's not the best crafted His story's documentary. story's interesting, though. But the story is interesting. So if you know, don't know anything about him, and also you'd like to see a documentary that actually has real victims, people who knew him, neighbors, the the neighborhood, which I found really interesting, and also his, his family member. That That's that's an interesting story to me. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Cool. Thanks for... Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a little break and then we'll come back and talk about some movies and TV. We'll be right back. documentaries you have a documentary as well i wanted to tell you that i've watched some things that weren't horror and i just wanted to share briefly i watched the lost city oh did you see that okay so i watched the beginning of it (laughs) my friend had it on i watched the beginning of it i was so tired i went upstairs but i could hear it still and i was dying <laughs> i enjoyed this and she movie said quite it was bit. really cute it's really cute and really yeah. and, and funny so 2022 super quick action adventure the lost city with sandra bullock and Channing tatum <gasps> and brad pitt has a bit part in it omg like so cute so funny i like those two so much that whatever you did it's like i'm gonna enjoy it but it actually ended up being a pretty good rom-com so I really enjoyed that for just a bit of summer fun. And I also saw The Man from Toronto with Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. Okay. Also action comedy 2022. Far too long. Not that great. I mean, they're both awesome. I love, I was so excited for Kevin Hart, Woody Harrelson pair up, but it's kind of, oh, there's just something not quite right about it. It's got so many promising elements, but it just doesn't kind of end up being all that thrilling or all that funny or that, it falls flat. Unfortunately, that is unfortunate. Yeah. And it's also kind of mistaken identity, which isn't my favorite thing. I mean, it hasn't gotten great reviews either, but I've been seeing this advertised, you know, in clips for a yeah. while and I was really excited about it, but nope. Since we're on the comedy thing real yeah, quick, I just sure. want to throw in there, and I know it's getting terrible reviews, but I think for the wrong reasons. Mm. I started watching Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone's new show, God's Favorite Idiot. I watched like 15 minutes of the first episode. I really like it. Oh, I, it, um, she was funny. I mean, she's really funny. So it's getting criticized for, wow, this is this is like Melissa McCarthy's like turn in her career this is what it's like hello she's doing a project with her husband yeah michael mcdonald from mad tv directs like at least one of the episodes and i love him oh and and i think like just enjoy it for what it is but i was so pissed off at the critics because they were like oh it took x amount of episodes for her character to get developed and she was just this one line i'm like it's a sitcom then they're trying to compare (laughs) it to what was the one with oh god the one where she goes to heaven 
Oh, I don't know the name of that. No, I don't. Okay, know. so they they were comparing it to that. Oh, okay. um, and the guy from Cheers, Ted Danson. Oh, and oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. They yes. were trying to compare it to that. I'm like, why? Just because there's like a <laughs> a heaven esque, you know, and then yeah, yeah. They, it has elements of like Bruce Almighty, which that I totally. Got. I mean, it's probably not as good as that show, but Leslie, whatever. Leslie That's Bibb, okay. It doesn't Le- have to be. Leslie Bibb plays Satan. Okay, and she's fucking hilarious in it. So. <laughs> Just guys, like it's okay to sometimes <laughs> like things that are not that deeply profound. Of course. It, it is a lot of fun. If you want like a good 25 minutes, they're short episodes. And the show we were trying to think of is called The Good Place. Thank you. And that was an amazing show. It's an amazing show. And this is not even remotely well, close. We don't have the to same compare. Thing. I mean, The Good Place is an awesome show. But, <laughs> but they were comparing it on the reviews, which pissed me off. Yeah. So anyway, long. <laughs> I see that you're pissed off. Long story short, it's fun. Cool. It's a lot of fun and she's there. Ben Falcone is, I love them together and I love their chemistry <laughs> and I love that he does. He always kind of <laughs> takes the back seat, but in this one, he's, you know, the lead and he is so funny in this. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. No, I just wanted to share some comedies because yeah. we like other stuff. We, we watch other stuff right on. I think you were going to share something. I s- watched on Shutter Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Okay. I love these old school. Actually, I'm talking about, the two things I'm talking about today are older. This is this came out in 2021, but it was the history of his career, which was really, really fascinating. Obviously, I'm wearing my my Universal Horror t-shirt today. I love the old school monsters. It's one of my favorite things about horror. And uh, it's Karloff examining his illustrious 60-year career in the entertainment industry and his enduring legacy as one of the icons of 20th century popular culture. It's about 99 minutes long. There were so many things about him and his career and how he really like barely became famous and how after he did Frankenstein, there was a a long period of time where no one would even look at him. Um, And he did these like other projects. But I want to just say something because, you know, we've talked about Kane Hodder being very uh, deliberate in his Jason. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that I thought was really cool about this documentary is they went into how deliberate Boris Karloff was when he played the monster. And there was a scene that Wales, the director, did not want. He wanted Frankenstein's monster to be this really like primitive creature that was harmful and whatever. And there's a scene, if you know the original, there's a scene where he's at the lake and this little girl shows up. Okay. And he, in the scene, he takes the little girl and throws her into the water. And because of his impulses, he drowns her. Right. And it's all silent film. So, and Wales wanted him to sort of like turn to the camera and almost be like excited that he did this. But Boris Karloff was like, I don't believe that that would have been his honest. I think he would have been mortified with what he did. So he, they changed the whole frame they changed the whole way they shot it and he and Wales got into this like they did not get along on the set because of this because Mm -hmm. Boris Karloff had a very different like human and empathic and compassionate part to the monster because he read the book because that's what we know (laughs) yeah and it goes into more of like how things like this would happen on the sets with him and it goes into (laughs) Jack Pierce who did all the prosthetics and the makeup for him. So if you like that kind of stuff, I really recommend this doc. Yep. I watched it too. It was really good. Yeah. So you know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. It was really good. I recommend it as well. That was fun. 
I did want to say I watched Spiderhead. Okay. Which is actually a crime drama, but it's got a sci-fi type of element to it. It's obvi- it's obviously not horror. It's a top shelf cast, as they say, as the critics say. And it doesn't it's not the best movie you've ever seen, but I didn't not enjoy it. I thought it was a pretty good watch. Chris Hemsworth is in it and mm-hmm. it, it kind of it, it's got an interesting idea to it. Let's put okay. it that way. It's it's not necessarily like a must watch, but if you like Chris Hemsworth, I thought it was cool. It reads like a Black Mirror episode. Okay. That's that's pretty much it. I mean go <laughs> an hour and forty seven minute Black Mirror episode, so yes. Definitely needed an edit. (laughs) In a state-of-the-art penitentiary run by a brilliant visionary, Steve, who's played by Chris Hemsworth, inmates wear a surgically attached device that administers dosages of mind-altering drugs in exchange for commuted sentences. Mm -hmm. There are no bars, no cells, or orange jumpsuits. In Spiderhead, incarcerated volunteers are free to be themselves until they're not. At least they're a better version. Need to lighten up? There's a drug for that. At a loss for words? There's a drug for that too. But two of the subjects form a connection and their path to redemption takes kind of a twisty turn and it pushes all the experiments past their limits and and of course free will is questioned. So I thought it was an interesting idea and there were some scenes that I felt were really interesting because what ends up happening is that they give you a drug to one of the fun scenes at the beginning is they give two people drugs in a room to get turned on by each other. Oh, wow. So unethical. Absolutely. There's so much unethical going on in Mm -hmm. this, but if you just look at it from, I mean, it's a horror in a, in a way, I mean, it's a thriller, but, and it's a crime, but it, to me it's horrific because if you imagine being, we were just talking about marginalized communities today, you imagine being a prisoner and you get like, oh, hey, you can go to this like really wow. fancy place instead of going to prison. Right. And all you have to do is be part of these experiments. Oh, they're harmless. It'll be fine. Oof. And then you go there and they basically install something. I think it was on his neck or his thigh or so. I don't remember. They install a thing on you. Oh, it's the back. It was on your back and it has little ampules in it. And each little ampule is a different kind of drug. And then they have the buttons to, to give you that drug in a, in a moment. So there's one where they give the drug and you're immediately attracted to the person in the room with you and they're playing with that. And then he's trying to play with love. Like, and then later you hear him talk to the guy about, so do you remember having sex with so-and-so? And you said that you loved her in those moments and all that. Do you love her now? He's like playing with whether or not he can have drug induced love. So that's one of them. And then there's this other whole thing where he gives you a drug that makes you basically suicidal like he can make someone be suicidal within like 60 seconds so it's an interesting concept yeah like i said i don't think it necessarily completely comes together what is it called a a film but it's called spiderhead okay so that's interesting yeah Um, it was an interesting concept so i this is an old film and most people have seen it but i i wanted to just talk about it in a different way i i have a client of mine who lost her husband to suicide a couple of years ago and she came in last week and she was talking about the film and she hadn't seen it and we started talking about it I said I'm gonna watch it again I haven't watched it in a long time 
And she was telling me, she goes, if I wouldn't have had the support of therapy and other protective factors in her life, she's like, I really feel like I could have become the character of Blanche. And so the movie now, it's streaming now, but it's a streetcar named Desire. And I watched it very differently this time, just much more from not just a mental health place, but also, you know, we have all of the Roe v. Wade stuff that just happened. It's amazing to look at how historically, like, things change, but things also stay the same. And if people, if, if you've never watched this movie, it truly is about a woman who becomes very ill after her husband dies of suicide, takes his life. And she already has like, you know, at least allegedly there's already some mental health stuff that's going on, but it's set in the French quarter of new Orleans during the restless years following world war II. a streetcar named desire is the story of Blanche Dubois played by Vivian Lee. Who's fantastic in this role. She actually ended up, having somewhat of a nervous breakdown after this role because she took it on so deeply, very method. A fragile and neurotic woman on desperate prowl for some place in the world to call her own after being exiled from her hometown of Laurel, Mississippi for for seducing a 17-year-old boy at the school where she taught English. Blanche explains her unexpected appearance on Stanley and Stella's Blanche's sister doorstep as a nervous exhaustion. So throughout the film, she ends up, you know, she's living with, her sister and her brother-in-law who's played by Marlon Brando, who also has this incredible performance in this film. And there's a very toxic and narcissistically abusive relationship between Blanche's sister and Stanley. It really, what ends I'm not going to go through the whole film, but what ends up happening is she's further and further gaslit in this situation. And she's really pushed to the brink of insanity. And his abuse is what pushes her And towards the end, they do take her away and they put her into a home for her mental illness. Mm -hmm. And one of the saddest parts about it, I think, is that the sister is completely aware that she knows she's in this marriage that is abusive. But this is a time where men really owned women and she had to believe that her husband was not the one who was lying about this really violent altercation. And at the end of the film, she's smart enough to take the child and she leaves after her, her sister is taken away. But man, I watched it so differently this time and just how relevant it is, not only from a mental health standpoint, but from a political standpoint. And if you have not seen this film, Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando are so almost too real in their performances that I just was like really overwhelmed. Yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. I like that movie. Fun fact in undergrad, I took a lot, I was in the drama department and I took a lot of acting classes and one of my acting teachers who I was very much attached to at the time, he did an exercise in one of our advanced classes where he cast us against type. Okay. Everybody was playing a role. Yeah, everybody had to play a role that was completely against type and he cast them. So you didn't, you weren't choosing your role. He made it happen. And I had to play Blanche Dubois, Mm. which was, if you know anything about me. Yeah. (laughs) Very against type. Even at, you know, 18, 20 years old, Mm. was very against type. And so there's nothing fragile about me. And, so I had to embody that and I embodied it with actually one of the best actors in our class, a male actor in our class. And we had to play these roles that were so different from us. And I, I can tell you that even just attempting in my youth to embody that character and, you know, be in her 
<laughs> in that script in a in a method kind of way mm-hmm. in a serious way you know we we're taking ourselves very seriously mm-hmm. at that point uh was really difficult yeah plus we did the scenes where were really physical and i got yeah. a lot of bumps and bruises and scratches i can tell you that <laughs> no that that's like one of those the final scenes where they get into that altercation of course he gave us the hardest scene but i i, I only mentioned that well yeah. as, as a fun fact of course yeah but, but also the fact that i know the script really well and and also that like yes i can imagine me even just as a child basically trying to inhabit her mm-hmm. for six weeks or something was uh was awful i can only imagine being a a really great actress and a professional right. and trying to do that and how it would mess you up i can only yeah. imagine we i know we saw the same thing with heath ledger and the yes. joker yeah. yeah that's why psychology is really i mean it's nothing it's no joke what you what you think about what you put your attention to what you what you do it encompasses who you are it sure. really it really takes over and and there's no better example than those kinds of things i did want to really quick since we're at the end of the month uh we're at the end of july i wanted to wrap up this is something i think i'm going to do in the future possibly is every month i'd really like to round up just the the shutter originals that happen every month. So every week shutter drops a shutter original movie. And for the month of June, I realize it's the end of July, but for the month of June, so I might be off a month or two because it takes us a while to get to the movies, but I wanted to just mention them again. And we have mentioned most of them already. So mad God came out. We talked about that. We actually watched that together 30 years in the making I mean, amazing visuals, not much story, a variety of reactions to that, but you can't take away from the fact that Phil Tippett created something oh my gosh of a a passion project over thirty years in his in his side, you know, in his free time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he created something that is visually stunning and gory and kind of over the top. And again, yes, we all know it's a it's like more of a visual treat than a story necessarily. Yeah. Stop motion animation. Sure. I mean, it's widely critically acclaimed, of course, but and then we also watched Revealer, which we talked about last week, which is a 2022 horror movie, kind of more low budget. It's about a stripper and a religious protester who are trapped together in the this peep show booth. And there are horror elements and they're trying to survive the apocalypse and all of this. And I think Kathy and I felt similarly about it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a pretty good watch. Wouldn't watch it again. You know, not quite great, but it was okay. And then Off Season, which I saw earlier in the month and talked about, was a 2021, technically, horror film. And I talked about how it was atmosphere for days, like crazy atmosphere. It was that it was that mythological Persephone. I don't know if you remember me talking about that, but it had that idea of this woman goes to this island and gets stuck there. And then it has a very isolated creepy vibes going on the local townspeople are there you know that whole kind of yuckiness and you know the mystery behind her mother's troubled past very noir i didn't feel like it came together as a story but the atmosphere was really on point like if you just like atmosphere movies and then to wrap it up i saw the long night which was a shutter original in june and you know, it's interesting. 
Kathy and I find this a lot, and this is the thing about just having opinions about movies is there's just always going to be a variety. So you might as well push play. I mean, you if you find that you like the things Kathy likes or you like the things that I like, then obviously you're going to go seek them out. But The Long Night was not necessarily well reviewed, <laughs> but I actually kind of really liked it. So it's a 2022 horror movie. Not kind of. I did really like it. There was just a lot to like about it. Not a perfect movie. They never are. While searching for the parents she's never known, New York transplant Grace returns to her childhood southern stomping grounds with her boyfriend to investigate a promising lead on her family's whereabouts. Upon arrival, the couple's weekend takes a bizarre, terrifying turn as a nightmarish cult and their maniacal leader terrorize the pair en route to fulfilling a twisted, ancient, apocalyptic prophecy. Nothing original there. <laughs> it's like, she's going there, it's the south, so it's, of course, this big old house, and she's with her boyfriend, and they're going to figure out what's happened to her family, and, of course, they slide into town, and everybody's a fucking weirdo. Mm. And it's a, a culty thing. But the visuals in this, the atmosphere that we always talk about that is created by usually very interesting visuals and very interesting sound. That's basically technically what creates that atmosphere was on point in this movie. These visuals were really cool. And the music, I don't know something about the music of this movie. I really, really liked huh? it was very creepy. It was very ominous. There were these long shots, slow shots with these weird visuals and this music. And I don't know if it was just that I was in the mood for that. Well, I'm usually in the mood for that. But this one captured me in that way. Also, the culty people, when they come in and start killing, they're into the slow watch them die kill. <laughs> you know that kill? Where mm -hmm. they just kind of like paper cut you to death. Yeah. It's like a little stab here, yeah. a little stab there. And then... Eventually, you're crawling across the grass and bleeding out, and, and they give you reaching one, final, the hand, one final stab, and then they just watch you bleed out. You know, it's very okay, which I found interesting. Yeah, and I thought, oh, I guess I like the slow, sadistic death by a thousand cuts, psychopathic, because it's really just like let's stab, let's watch mm -hmm. stab again, <laughs> let's watch him crawl away a little bit more. Oh, oh. Third stab. It's like the animal kingdom. Yeah. It's very like. Just kind of play with our. You know, like our prey. You know how Jason like just kind of cocks his head and looks at yeah. his victims like. Mm, okay. Also. And this will be my last thing is that I. What I also liked about it was that. Although there's nothing new in that story. It was not a happy ending. It was not a. We're running. I'm the final girl. We're going to get out and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that they die. I'm just saying, like, the way it ends is not like, we, we win. We have the answers to what we wanted and all will be well. We'll just have to get some therapy and go home. That's not really oh, what happens. Okay. So I actually like how they landed the ending. Excellent. Honestly, just like, like it was congruent with the story that was kind of but offbeat or whatever. Good. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. dug it. Eh, check it out. All right, guess what's next? Are you ready? <laughs> well, as ready as I ever am, Kathy Boo. Shannon, how many slashers were made in the 1980s according to IMDb? The 80s. I don't know, like 500? 324. Oh, 
Well, that is quite a bit. I nope. bet a lot of them were bad. Well, most. <laughs> yeah. In 2008, this product made a commercial about a killer on the loose. The question was whether the woman would survive. Well, considering she was wearing this particular product, she most certainly did. Well, I do not know the brand, so I don't know the answer, but I'm going to say that they were running shoes. Nike run for your life ad campaign. Yeah, I mean, I remember the commercial. I just didn't. It's kind of a weird (laughs) way to sell a product. Like you you can run away from a serial killer. Yeah, go Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Number three. Why are you told not to whistle in a graveyard? I believe it's because you're going to raise the dead or summon the devil or something. Summon the devil. Okay. Number four. Why was Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in the Hellraiser series, ignored at the post-production party? (laughs) I don't know. Let's think about this for a second. (laughs) It's kind of obvious. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that came to mind is like, do any of you really know what Doug Bradley looks like? That's exactly it. No one recognized him. <laughs> like, like, of course, Horror Files, which I'm sure some of our listeners are. It's like, you know what he looks like because you've been to horror cons and stuff. But so. the people on the set didn't care. But like, I didn't know what he looked like until 10 years ago, probably. And well, he's one of my, and it's one of my favorite horror characters. Well, these aren't, these aren't really even necessary, necessarily horror fans. These are like post-production people that were like, who are you? They maybe they liked horror, maybe they didn't care. No, no, no. I mean, I worked in post production. Yeah. I get it. Like they they knew what yeah, they would know they only know what they see on the screen. Exactly. They weren't on the production. <laughs> and this was before internet and looking up actors and, you know. Number 5, Tim Burton was in contention to direct what 80s family horror film, but couldn't because of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, it's funny because I said earlier that something flashed in my mind, but I don't think the timing works out, but I was thinking it was the Burbs. <laughs> oh, that's a great guess, actually, because that'd be, I could see him directing that. That's the one that came in the it's, It was actually Gremlins. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would have been a very different film if it wasn't Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very different. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Thanks, you guys, for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. 